Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. When hearing the parable of the sower in Mark, few people stop to consider that seeds are embryonic plants. That's right. The seeds tucked away in a box on your shelf are already pregnant. Not only does the seed contain the instructions needed to make a plant, but also an embryo, which can grow into a full plant under proper conditions. In other words, the seed does what the seed does, and the soil contributes nothing. It either accepts the seed or rejects it. The soil can't even control the conditions under which acceptance or rejection are cultivated. The only hope is the seed itself. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. You're listening to the Bible as literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 153 of the Bible as Literature podcast. So many times, Richard, I've heard people try to explain that the Bible needs a community. And usually when people make this argument, what they are saying is the Bible needs my community. Now, this presupposition is erroneous not because of one's theological point of view or ideological point of view or philosophical view of the world. It's erroneous because the physical world functions differently than the way this presupposition functions. Abraham had many wives. And it was understood that it was the duty of someone who had status and resources to support as many spouses as possible for the continuation of the human race. And it mirrors the way farming works. You have to cast the seed in as many places as possible to ensure that there's a crop because you can't control the elements You can't control how the soil receives the seed. You don't know what else is growing in the soil. Now, when you take these basic mechanisms of the created world, the way things function, the seed contains the instruction for that which it will produce. Everything that you need in order to make a tree or a bush or a shrub or a plant All of the information required is contained in the seed, and the seed can lay dormant until such time as you find a place to plant it, and it produces what it's going to produce. Any farmer knows this. You don't plant the precise number of seeds that you need in order to have the crop that you want. You plant more seeds like it's normal. Everybody knows that not every seed is going to grow and not every seed is going to land in the right place, but you still have to sow the seed. You have to make sure that as many seeds are going out as you can afford to, because that way at least it'll take root someplace. 
even the soil that's receiving the seed can't determine if it's going to grow there or not. The seed does what the seed does. The seed does not come to a patch of soil and say, huh, this soil wants me to be this way and will receive me if I position myself this way. It doesn't work that way. You plant the seed and either the soil receives it or it doesn't. The seed does what the seed does and everything the seed needs is contained in the seed. And in the opening section of Mark, Jesus is not going to take the risk that the only place he plants a seed is in Jerusalem because the presupposition of Mark is that Jerusalem not only didn't grow anything when the seed was planted, but didn't want the seed, so God didn't even go there with the seed. And so you have this beautiful story in Mark of Jesus running everywhere to as many fields as possible to sow the seed. And now he's explaining that that's what he's been doing. Right. So far, Jesus has been working so hard not to be stuck in one particular town, one particular house. He has to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And nobody understands, neither the scribes or Pharisees, nor those sitting with him, nor even his family understands that this is what he has to do. He has to go out, go out, go out, and as we've said before, immediately, 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 he must go out, spreading the word which is the seed, spreading the word is the only thing that Jesus is about at this point. We're now at chapter 4, and Jesus has done nothing else but try to spread the word and get around those who are preventing him from spreading the word and finding those who want to support him in spreading the word. That's it. That's all he's doing is just teaching. And you have to spread as much of the teaching as possible because your basic assumption has to be that the elements and circumstance and time are all working against you. So if you cast 30 seeds and you get one plant or two plants, you're lucky. And if those plants happen to survive the elements, you're even more fortunate. But notice, the seed does, I'm going to repeat myself, the seed does what the seed does. The seed contains what the seed contains. It's not as though the soil can have a discussion about what it likes or it doesn't like about the seed. The seed is what the seed is. And the soil doesn't prepare itself. The soil is what it is. Maybe it's conducive, maybe it's not. Maybe the soil is conducive and then something else happens. But there is nothing predetermined about whether this soil is the soil or not. The farmer can't do anything with the soil to make it the right soil. Even if he weeds it, God could cause it to be a drought. Then what are you going to do? You have no control, and the seed doesn't need you. If you understand these two basic points, you have no control, and the seed does not need you, then there's hope that you'll be numbered among those whom God is reaching out to outside of Jerusalem. If you think the seed needs you, then you should go move to Jerusalem, steal some land from a local Palestinian family, build an apartment, and you'll be just fine. 
He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. This is the second time Jesus had to get into a boat in order to get away from the crowds of people. Jesus is working to get out, to move away, to go away, to spread the teaching, the seed to more people. And it's important to remember that the sea is the sea that only God can control. Caesar can't control it. The synagogue can't control it. The chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees can't control it. Only the Lord is the master of the waters, the master of the wind, of the elements. So Jesus sits enthroned as teacher upon the waters in the opening section of chapter 4. And he was teaching them many things and parables and was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. Let me focus on this word, listen, because when he goes out into the boat, nobody can touch him. All they can do is hear him. All the times that people wanted to touch him in order to be healed, when he's out on the boat, they can't touch him, literally. All they can do is teach, and this is ideally where Jesus wants to be, is where he's teaching and they're listening. And his dominion over the waters and over the land, which hearkens to the Psalter. God in the Psalter is at war with the waters, which pose a threat, right? And he masters the waters, which again alludes to Exodus and the story of God's victory over Pharaoh. When he talks about the sower going out to sow, this is in a way the title of chapters 1 through 3 of Mark. The sower went out to sow. And now Jesus is going to test them. He's going to give them a mashal, a parable. And he wants to see, were you listening to what I've been saying? Did you hear? Do you have ears that are attuned to the metaphor of scripture? So that even though I'm talking about farming, you understand I'm talking about the work that I've been doing. It's really important. It's difficult and it doesn't work even on a podcast because this type of teaching only comes through discipleship. When you actually do what scripture does, which is take metaphor and apply it to the real world. Scripture is a language of metaphors that change the way you understand ordinary things. So if you have ears to hear those metaphors, you begin to see the ordinary the way that God sees it majestically. And you begin to see that the things people are typically impressed with are mundane in God's eyes. So how do you understand Jesus running around town trying to go from village to village teaching? That's the question. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road and the birds came and ate it up. That seed was not able to create a tree because it landed in a spot that was not conducive for it to grow. So the sower can't stop here. The sower needs to continue. And who builds roads? The Roman Empire. And what's the symbol of the Roman Empire? The eagle. Who claims to control the land and the sea? The Roman Empire. Who sits enthroned on the sea, spreading God's seed over the land? The Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to be clear. Mark is not saying the Gentiles are the good guys. Jesus here is fighting the Romans as much as he's fighting Jerusalem. You can't lose sight of that. And if you're lazy, if you don't have ears to hear what's going on, if you're not paying attention, you could hear Mark and walk away as an anti-Semite, which plenty of people have done. 
Or if you're an imperialist, if at least stopping short of anti-Semitism, you could walk away thinking the Gospels are pro-Rome, which they are not. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. So it began to grow, but it couldn't continue to grow. And verse 6, And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. So... There are plenty of places that have already received God's instruction. The most notable being the one place God has not visited in Mark yet, which is Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, which is not God's holy city. Remember, Mark is controlled by Ezekiel. The holy city is in the heavens beyond the control of man, just like Jesus sitting on the boat, as you observed. He is in a place you can't reach him. So... If he's talking about a place where the seed obviously did not bear fruit, he's definitely talking about Jerusalem, because if the seed in Jerusalem bore fruit, Jesus wouldn't have to run around trying to create more fruit. You have to understand always that if you are the insider, if you are the one who believes the seed needs your soil, you are the one who's fighting Jesus. Well, because this shows the shallowness of the soil. The teaching comes and people get excited, but as soon as anything happens, like the sun rising, it can't survive. So it doesn't just require soil, it requires some sort of depth, because something will happen adverse to it, and it's going to need the fortitude to be able to confront whatever that obstacle might be. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Some of it will grow, but there are other seeds that are growing up at the same time around it. So now the good plants and the bad plants have to be competing for the same resources so that the good ones will produce fruit. So the plant can even grow and not produce fruit. And this is just as if it landed on the road and was eaten by a bird. So it can get very far along, but because of the other teachings, the other seeds that are out there, it bears no fruit and it becomes all talk. Other seeds fell into the good soil and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. And here, this is where everyone who hears the story falls flat on their face. Everybody thinks, oh, this means we have to be the good soil. No! The story is telling you, you have no control over fate. All you can do in scripture is play the odds. If you're not producing fruit, we already know that it landed on the bad soil. And you are not the story. The soil is not the reference. This is not a fable about the importance of growing up to be good soil. It's about playing the odds for the long game. We saw what happened in Jerusalem. It didn't work. Which means God is under pressure, just like he was under pressure in Genesis. It didn't work. So now he has to go clean up the mess that the people made. He has to go and plant more crops and keep planting. Because it's a long season and we don't know where the good soil is. And we don't know what's going to happen, and we have to make sure we have the best possible chance that the gospel will survive to the next generation. And you have to have fruit if you're going to have soil for the next generation. Whenever you get 30, 60, 100 fold, you don't eat all of it. You save a portion of it for the next planting season. 
This is about fruit. It's not about soil. And if you are asking the question about whether you're the good soil or not, you know you're not the good soil because your fruit would demonstrate the soil. So you may not be the soil that's needed for the fruit to prosper. That's okay. Jesus took care of that. He's got seed planted elsewhere. You don't have to worry. If it withers with you, it's no problem. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I, Jesus, have been scattering on many different soils. There are many brides. There are many lands. There are many peoples. As Matthew says, the rain falls upon the just and upon the unjust. And that's how Jesus casts the seed. And he does so, as I was saying, because he's playing the long game. Because Jerusalem didn't work out, so he has to make sure that there is fruit manifest somewhere. And if you have ears to hear, if you have already begun to receive the seed that he's been scattering in the first three chapters of Mark, then you can understand the metaphoric language of the mashal. If you have not done the work, if you have not received the seed, and it is not bearing fruit in you because you're rejecting it, the way that some of the soil here in the story rejects the seed, then you're not going to understand the parable. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. That's interesting. He has followers in addition to the twelve. Literally in the story, the twelve disciples. But in reality, in the metaphoric language of the narrative, it's the twelve tribes plus his followers among the Gentiles. Right. So he has a broad contingent of people who are listening to him. But just because they're listening to him doesn't mean they understand. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then everyone who's around him says, we don't understand. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables. Now, one thing about mystery, oftentimes we talk about mystery as something that's unexplained, inexplicable, beyond our grasp. But mystery is something that is covered and then is uncovered. This is what a mystery is. It's now uncovered. So he offers to them the mysteries of the universe, which means I'm going to offer you these things that you can never grasp or understand. No, I'm going to give you the key to understanding things and how they work in the universe. And this is why I'm going to explain this parable to you. If someone does not get the parable, it's because they are willfully refusing to understand the parable. Here's the mystery. Understand it. I don't understand it. Well, there's nothing I can do to help you. Because it's plain as day. It's pretty obvious if you've been paying attention. So here, following the pattern of Ezekiel and Isaiah, Jesus is explaining how the sin against the Holy Spirit is willful ignorance. It's refusing to receive scripture. It's standing in the way of scripture. It's choking the seed, blocking the seed. If the gospel explains to you sarcastically as it does in the passion narratives that everyone was worried about keeping the sabbath even though they just murdered jesus if that parable isn't obvious to you if you don't feel the hypocrisy and the betrayal of religion in that parable then what more can god do for you if you can take the bible which teaches you to lose and then run around on Facebook putting hash sign blessed. How can you receive scripture? What are you talking about? You've got blinders on, as Paul says. So, again, 
it's not a mystery the way that theologians make mysteries out of things because they don't understand it and so they talk in circles. It's not a mystery the way the Hellenists talk about Gnosticism and secret knowledge. It's something that needs explanation, like what is A squared times B? There's an answer to A squared times B. If you don't know what it is, you don't know. It's a mystery to you, but it can be explained. And when you go for the algebra test, you can't throw your hands up and say it's a pre-eternal mystery that can't be explained. No, it can be explained because of 10 students, nine got it right and you got it wrong. Guess what? You get an F and there's no excuse for you. That's the parable. It's a test, but it's a test with the answers published. So if you don't have ears to hear, it's your fault you failed. That's the key, Rich. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. The problem with the sin of apostasy is that it's a deep, deep sickness in the human being. And to turn and be forgiven is something that sounds easy, but the problem is how easy it is. Because the human beings are returning to be forgiven, but just as quickly they're turning and they're following the Baals again. There's a beautiful passage in Hosea where it talks about the love of the human being is the dew on the plant. As soon as the sun comes up, it's gone. Human beings will always keep turning and turning and turning and turning, apostatizing, repenting, apostatizing, repenting, because they have this deep sickness. The only cure for this is the word. It's as if the seed itself produces the soil it needs for its growth. The word has to come in and cure the sickness. It's an infertility. This is the sin against the Holy Spirit that Jesus is proclaiming when he exegetes Ezekiel and Isaiah here in Mark. This is what he's saying. When he stands before Pilate and Pilate says what is truth, Pilate is committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Because you do not need a degree from a theological seminary to understand that it is evil to put an innocent man to death. So if you want to stand there, as I've heard many people do, and feel sorry for Pilate because he's in this gray area where he's got a quandary and he's trying to figure out what is truth, what does it all mean? If that's where you're at, you're the enemy of the Holy Spirit because it's plain as day that Pilate has a duty before God not to allow the execution of an innocent man. I want people to understand that scripture is not philosophical. It is elemental. It is basic. It deals with the way things work. That is why we began the episode by explaining the seed and explaining how patriarchs had to have multiple spouses because that's how biology works. If you didn't have polygamy in the ancient world, there would not be a human race today because the odds were against us surviving. So you have to think on this level. And once you think on this level, you realize that if you are opposing God, you're either stupid or willfully stupid. That's the point. Thanks very much, Dr. Thank you, Father. Just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.